We say Heart for Lebanon exists to see lives changed and communities transformed. We help move people from despair to hope. But our foremost goal is to share the gospel with every individual we come in contact with. Our first-person guest now is on the front lines of helping Syrian refugees who are flooding into Lebanon. You'll hear Camille Melky's story now in this week's interview. Welcome. I'm Wayne Shepherd, and we'll get to the conversation in just a moment. First, please visit our website for more about this weekly program and the guests we feature. A listener recently commented how nice it is to hear stories from people in all walks of life who are serving God in so many different ways. Well, either on the website or with our smartphone app, you can explore past interviews and listen at your convenience. Just go to firstpersoninterview.com or download the app from either Apple or Android app stores. And of course, we're always available at facebook.com slash firstpersoninterview. On this last program of the year, we take a look at one of the biggest news stories of the year as millions have suffered as a result of the war in Syria. Many refugees have fled into Lebanon seeking protection. And that's where Camille Melki and Heart for Lebanon comes into the story with humanitarian help, education, and the gospel. Camille recently joined me in the studio to tell his story as well as the story of his ministry to these refugees. Yeah, I was, um, I jokingly say I was raised in the first pews, the front pews of the church. My parents are wonderful Christian businessmen and women. I have taught as well that the importance of being followers of Christ. And I was a young kid. I was nine years old attending a, an evening service when my uncle, who was the preacher of our church, kept saying, nothing takes you to heaven, no matter who your parents are, no matter what you who you know, what you do, except the blood of Jesus Christ. It's funny. Then he went on through the list to make sure that he targets me. I, I, you know, I mean, of course, that's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit uh, yeah. was uh, had yeah. you targeted, didn't because he? Because he said, even if your uncle is a pastor, you'll not make it to heaven. I said, okay, now that was personal. That was straight to me. And that evening, I um, asked him to uh, to pray with me, and I've accepted Christ as my personal Savior. Huh. Uh, but in a minority as a Christian in Lebanon, correct? Very true. We are a small minority in the country of Lebanon. Lebanon has a four million uh, population uh, divided into uh, three thirds, one third Muslim Sunni, one third Muslim Shia, and one third uh, would be Christian from various Christian uh, uh, traditions. Mm-hmm. I've never been to your country, but I understand it's very beautiful. It is. I know I'm biased, but it is one of the most beautiful countries in the world. Describe it to me. What's it like? Well, first of all, you have this. It's a very small, narrow uh, coastal country. It runs from the uh, on the eastern side of the Mediterranean. From the north, you have Tripoli, and then you have Byblos, and then you have, of course, Beirut as the uh, capital in the middle of the nation. And then you have the two southern cities on the coast, Tyre and Sidon which are biblical uh, cities where Mm -hmm. uh, Jesus came and met the Canaanite woman. It's a beautiful nation. We have a lot of tall mountains and people can go skiing and swimming at the same time, which when you talk about the Middle East, you wouldn't imagine that being. No, not at all. Yeah, so it's it's nice. It's beautiful. We have a lot of uh, uh, beautiful sceneries. Keep in mind the cedars of Lebanon Mm -hmm. mentioned in the Bible Mm -hmm. tens of times. So you love your country. 
I love my country. Yeah. Tell me about your family. I have two girls. My wife and I have been married for 27 years, and we have two girls. Meili is 23 years old. She is doing her master's at Indiana University in Bloomington. And our youngest is uh, a junior in college. Amy is uh, studying in Lebanon at the Lebanese American University and doing journalism. And your beautiful wife? My beautiful wife, Huda. Together, we grew up in the same high school, same church, same youth group. I mean, uh, but we knew of each other. We knew of each other, but never talked to one another until I traveled to the U.S. I came here to the the States in Indiana and did my bachelor and then later on my master's. And uh, we started corresponding, funny enough, after we... She was were, in Lebanon She was in here? Lebanon. Okay. I was here. Um, her grandfather passed away. I sent her a condolences card, and it was history since then. <laughs> <laughs> the rest of the story, as they say. The huh? rest of the story, as yeah. they say, yeah. Well, tell me about the the Christians in Lebanon. Tell me what it's like, and we'll we'll get to the current situation, but let's talk about culturally what's going on. Well, of course, uh, Lebanon uh, is a small nation, four million in population, as I have mentioned. Uh, around a million of them are uh, Christian, Catholic, Orthodox, uh, uh, Evangelical, the minorities, uh, a lot of Christian uh, Eastern traditions. Mm-hmm. Um, Lebanon tend, used to be um, uh, majority Christian uh, in the late 1800s and early 1900s. Unfortunately, because of the uh, civil war and because of the uh, uh, even the majority of the Christians going through a lot of oppression uh, early during the Ottoman years, uh, many Christians fled the nation of Lebanon and many have traveled to Canada, to the U.S., to Australia. Um, there are more of us living abroad than there are Is Lebanese right? living in the country of okay. Lebanon today. Huh. Uh, surprisingly enough, the country of Brazil has more Lebanese or people originally from Lebanon hmm. than the country of Lebanon. There hmm. are six million uh, who are living in Brazil from Lebanon. Mm-hmm. Imagine that. What What is the challenge for the evangelical church in Lebanon now? Yeah, the evangelical church is the smallest among the Christian groups, and the challenges are many. Uh, first of all, um, we are a nation who is hosting 50% of its population that are refugees from uh, the neighboring nations. You have around 2 million refugees from Syria, from Iraq and from Palestine. So you're talking about a church that is trying to extend the love of Christ to a very large refugee population. The economic restraints are hard. The um, uh, you know, There's no country that exists uh, uh, that have thought of planning uh, for an influx of overnight of 50% of its population. Wow. So, you, you know, there's no infrastructure that could serve us. There's mm-hmm. no um, uh, sewages and roads and telecommunication, water, uh, electricity that could take uh, uh, half a population addition and serve them. So that is a major difficulty. Yeah. The church is trying to be the hand and feet of Jesus, mm-hmm. but under a lot of difficult circumstances. Before we talk more about that, help us understand Lebanon in in the picture of the Middle East. Politically, it's a very diverse country with all that going on, but that doesn't seem to be the norm in the Middle East. No, it's not. In fact, the majority of the nations in the Middle East are uh, are one color, we say, politically. They're, uh, and, and here we have to be careful when we talk about politics. We don't separate religion 
and politics in the Middle East. The same so way we do the, in the States, <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> so you have, you know, uh, like in Syria, the majority of the population are Sunni Muslim. They're ruled by an Alawite president, but the majority are Sunni Muslim. The same is true in other nations. They're either majority Sunni or majority Shia Muslim. Lebanon is, as I said, equally uh, divided in uh, in numbers in the religious groups, which gives it a whole different nuance. By constitution, the president of the country is always a Catholic Christian. The speaker of the house is always a, a Shia Muslim, and the prime minister is always a Sunni Muslim. Oh, that's how so, they keep the balance of <laughs> they power. They keep the huh? balance of yeah. power, and of course, they, they respect the majority, uh, the, uh, the majority of the uh, religious groups uh, as well. But that also puts a lot of difficulties on the country of Lebanon, because when you are so equally divided and uh, you have nations that are at war today because of uh, religious affiliations, when you have wars in Iraq, when you have wars in Syria, when you have wars almost all around in the Middle East, Lebanon is directly affected. So you have people in Lebanon who are with or against that uh, government or uh, the other way around. And uh, thankfully so, the country still lives in uh, tranquility compared to what is around us. Mm -hmm. But definitely there are a lot of political struggles. Yeah, and terrorism has affected Lebanon as well. Terrorism has affected Lebanon a lot. Um, many of us have suffered so much during the civil war. So from 75 to 1990, a lot uh, of terrorist activities has taken place. But even after the civil war ended, many times Lebanon have gone through uh, car bombs, have uh, seen a lot of atrocities. Our prime minister, Rafael Hariri, was assassinated mm-hmm. in 2005. Um, not long ago, in fact, three years ago, uh, the... Uh, one of our military leaders was assassinated in that car uh, car bombing that assassinated him. My daughter was a victim oh. among uh, many oh, who were goodness. injured and killed. Was she, she nearby then? She was right there. And in fact, when only God's uh, angels, only God's uh, uh, sovereignty and protection uh, keeps her, kept her alive. Uh, she was at a bookstore right where the car bomb was parked. Her mother, my wife, calls her and said, uh, Meili, come over. I'm, I need to take you over to your medical uh, doctor's appointment. And if you know my two daughters, they're very opinionated, just like their mother, and changes <laughs> very hard. A little bit like their father. Yeah, a lot. You know, that's very true. A lot like their father. And, and, and uh, Meili resists change. But then that day, she said, Mom, you, you're too early for my doctor's appointment. I'm here buying supplies to for, for the uh, youth dog that she had that evening. And Huda told her, I'm not sure, uh, but something inside me is nudging me and telling me I need to take you early to your doctor's appointment. Mm. Amy gives, Meili gives up the fight. She steps out of the uh, bookstore, walks around the block, and then the car bomb explodes. She would have been right there. She would have been right oh, there. I mean, she was... Uh, physically protected, the emotional uh, uh, trauma is still there. But I stand in front of you telling you today there is nothing but God's sovereignty and his protective edge over us that we, our daughter is still alive. And we all have those memories, unfortunately. Uh, we continue to live in a turmoil part of the world, and we realize that terrorism could strike any time. And we'll learn more about this ministry, Heart for Lebanon, with Camille Melke, coming up today on First Person. This is Ed Cannon, president of the Far East Broadcasting Company. Thanks for listening to today's First Person interview. 
FEBC believes in the power of story, God's story, at work in the life of people who follow Christ. As we broadcast programs both into large population areas and remote villages of Asia, we hear amazing stories of how God touches hearts with His Word. If you'd like to hear more of those testimonies, please visit firstpersoninterview.com and click on the FEBC banner. My guest is Camille Melke, who is CEO of Heart for Lebanon. And I have this rare opportunity while uh, Camille is in the Chicago area to come to the studio and sit down for this conversation. Great to spend time with you today, brother. Uh, let's talk about Heart for Lebanon, the ministry. How did it start and when did it start? Yeah, when Heart for Lebanon began exactly 10 years ago. That summer of July 2006, Hezbollah and Israel got into a major fight. And 33 days of war left the country of Lebanon almost in total destruction. $4.5 billion of destruction. Mm. 800,000 people were internally displaced. 200,000 people decided to leave the country and never return. That's one-fourth of our population. That time, Huda and I and our two girls were in the U.S. visiting some of our partner churches, and we were uh, loved on by many. We were (laughs) refugees in your nation, and if there's a place you want to be a refugee, that's a great place, (laughs) right? A lot of churches wanted to keep us here because of their generosity, challenging us to consider calling the U.S. home. But then we, you know, we're away from home and we're um, worried about our loved ones back in Beirut and in the surrounding cities. That was a strong call, wasn't it? Very. And we were fighting God, the why question. Why God again? And then uh, we reflect on this beautiful piece of scripture where the disciples brought the blind man to Jesus and asked him, why is he blind? Is he paying this price of his parents' sins or his sins? And Jesus' answer was surprising. Neither but just for the name of the Lord to be glorified. And I said to myself, here I am, wasting my time asking the why question rather than asking how then, Lord, how then, Lord, in the midst of all this despair, can we be the hand and feet of Jesus to the people who need it the most? And you could guess, not long after that, we were back on a flight to Beirut, Lebanon. Flying to Lebanon, I asked my wife, so tell me, what do you think? She said, you are crazy. (laughs) But I tell you one thing. This is God's heart. God has a heart for Lebanon. And that's where the name Heart for Lebanon came from. You know, it's God's heart. It's God's compassionate heart to the broken and lost. So the organization was born in a time of need and today serves in another time of need, doesn't it? Very true. We served the first two years reaching out to the internally displaced folks in Lebanon, individuals who were uh, trying to rebound after the summer 2006 war. And then early in 2009, we began serving the many Iraqis who have fled Iraq, came to Lebanon, predominantly Christians who have been persecuted by rebels in that country, and they were forced out of their homes as well. Hard for Lebanon started reaching out to the tens of thousands of Iraqi refugees in our nation. And then in 2011, when the crisis in Syria began, and remember, Lebanon has a long border with Syria. Uh, many, meaning two million Syrians have crossed our borders, came to Lebanon seeking refuge. That number is unfathomable to us. Two million suddenly inside your nation. 
and and you have some responsibility. Well, listen, uh, uh, the United Nations considers Lebanon as the largest refugee host per capita. There is no nation on this planet that has as many refugees per capita as the country of Lebanon. The crisis in Syria is considered the worst humanitarian crisis since World War II. What has prevented collapse? I mean, that is an, un, again, unfathomable number of people to care for. In my opinion, it's only God. <laughs> because really, when we, we you study the history of the Middle East, the recent history of the Middle East, every time there is a crisis anywhere around us, we are in deep waters. Thankfully so, Lebanon still stands. And because of the love of many who have reached out and provided support because of uh, agencies like us, Heart for Lebanon and others who are committed to show the love of Christ for people who are suffering tremendously, Lebanon continues to prevail and the refugees are being cared for. Mm. In no small part by Heart for Lebanon and the Hope Centers which you've established. What is a Hope Center? A Hope Center is an educational center where children at risk from Iraq or Syria could find refuge to play again, to have their innocence restored. Children could have an opportunity to study Arabic, English, math, a place where they can learn music, where they can learn drama, a place where they can express themselves. Again, it's a safe environment. But first and foremost, it's also a place where we could embed in everything we do, biblical character traits to help teach the children forgiveness, love, honesty, transparency, and many other biblical traits using the Bible as the foundation of everything we teach and do. So your goal is the gospel, the Our, proclaiming the gospel and winning souls. That's that's what you're all about. Very true. We say Heart for Lebanon exists to see lives changed and communities transformed. We help move people from despair to hope, hope in Christ alone. So yeah, we do give a lot of basic food and hygiene supplies. We provide the basic necessities of survival for a refugee family and a refugee community. But our foremost goal is to share the gospel for with every individual we come in contact with. But, and I've never been there, but I can just imagine the children that come to you, they come from such terrible circumstances. The things that they've witnessed, the family members that they've lost. How do you reach these children? Well, uh, you're very true, Wayne. You know, you have kids who have seen their parents killed in front of them, have seen their siblings being abducted. In some cases, they have seen their older sisters being taken and raped. These are children who have seen so much. Some of them have lost both of their parents. They come to us scared, suspicious of everyone's intentions. They come angry. They come bitter. They come traumatized. So our first thing is to build that relationship of trust with them. How do you deal with the fact that you are making a difference, but in such a small way compared to the great need that's out there? Well, we have to be reminded that every individual counts. So we we realize that as much as the need is overwhelming and the numbers are incredible, we focus on that particular person we're serving. Heart for Lebanon is reaching out to 3,000 families on every given month. You're mm. talking about almost 36,000 individuals. Mm. So that's not a small number. No, not at all. But still, uh, compared to the millions yes. of refugees, it is small. But, and again, not, we don't focus on the 36,000 individuals. We don't focus on the 3,000 families. We focus on every individual at a time. Well, let's focus on one of those families. Tell me, tell me a story. Well, let me tell you this story. Two weeks ago today, two Mondays ago today, 
here I was at a, um, a refugee camp showing one of our partners from the United Kingdom our work. And then I took him from there to our hope centers so they can see the students in the classroom, so they can do the comparison between what they live in and what they get as opportunities as students and children are studying at our hope centers. In the midst of a very serious conversation, a young girl, let's call her Sarah, knocks at the door and walks into the office and said, uh, can I interrupt? I wanted to say no. I wanted to say, you know, not now, <laughs> you know. <laughs> I, I, I look at our uh, center coordinator, and he was waiting for a signal from me to remove her from the room, but mm -hmm. I couldn't. I couldn't. For some reason, I felt she has something compelling she wants to share. Jesus said, let the children come. Amen. So she said and said, uh, I want to share this story with you. I want to tell you that my grandmother just heard news from Syria that my uncle is alive. And so I, I stopped Sarah there. I said, wait, wait, wait. Tell us the story from the beginning. She said, you see, my grandfather was killed. My other uncle was killed. And my younger brother were, was killed. All three of them were killed in Syria in the beginning of the war. We all fled Syria and came to Lebanon except my grandmother because she did not hear any news about my other uncle. We thought he was killed or at least abducted. But since she had nobody to bury, she wanted to stay in Syria mm. because she want to have a word and affirmation that her son is still alive. Sarah said, I, we came to the Bekaa Valley, and it was your staff who saw me one day playing with my cousin and invited us to the Hope Center. I've been studying at your Hope Center for three years. Last week, my cousin and I knelt down, read the Bible, and prayed and said, Jesus, if there's anyone who could tell us anything about my uncle, it would be you. Mm. And I said, now, wait, wait, wait a minute. Where did you get this Bible from? Now, she gave me this look. It's like as if, don't you know? Don't you run this ministry? <laughs> <laughs> the first thing that we got when we came to the Hope Center is the Bible. And the first thing we learned is to read and write. Sarah and her cousin did not know how to read and write. Now they read Arabic, they read English, but they also read the Bible. And I said, does your mother know that you're reading the Bible? She said, yeah, of course. And my mother, who is illiterate, invites me every night to read the Bible for her. Wow. And she said, guess what? That same night we prayed and Jesus answered. Grandma called and she said, we heard news. Your uncle is alive. Oh. He is in prison and he's been in bad shape. Let's pray now that he would be released. And she said, Jesus answered the first prayer and I'm here to ask you to pray with me so he would answer the second oh. prayer. I said, How do you, how, what do you know about Jesus? She said, I know that Jesus is in my heart. I'm a changed person because of him. This is why we do what it we do. It makes it worthwhile, doesn't it? This is what gets us out of bed every morning. Yeah. Realizing that kids like that could be captured by terrorists, could be subjected to radicalism, could be brainwashed. But instead, instead, they are at the Hope Centers at Heart for Lebanon, hearing the gospel, being reached for Jesus. Amidst the crisis in Lebanon, with so many refugees fleeing their homes, God is at work through Heart for Lebanon. Through education and care, Camille and his team are able to share the gospel of Christ and are seeing many Muslims turn to Christ as a result. There's more about Heart for Lebanon at firstpersoninterview.com. 
Well, this is our final program for 2016, and I'd like to take a moment to thank our friends and supporters of the Far East Broadcasting Company who make these weekly interviews possible. The gospel is bigger than any one of us, and FEBC is doing all it can to make sure that as many people as possible hear the Word of God and are pointed to Christ. Taking Christ to the world through radio and new media is the mission of FEBC. Learn more at firstpersoninterview.com. Click on the banner for FEBC. Some interesting guests coming up in the new year. Next week, we'll talk with an astronaut who flew on the space shuttle. Now for a final time in 2016, thanks to my friend and producer, Joe Carlson. I'm Wayne Shepard. Thanks for listening to First Person. First Person.